Gallivanters, you're listening to TBG Podcast. My name is Anna, and here with me is my friend and world's best storyteller, Gabby. How are you doing today? I'm good, Anna. Thank you. How are you? I'm fine and very excited because on this episode, we're finally diving into the initial chapters of Parable of the Sower today. Mm -hmm. We're going to focus on chapters one through eight, share the summary of the story and our comments so far. As a reminder, though, before we start the discussion, if you'd like to read along, you can check out the episode schedule on TBG Instagram. There you can find out what chapters we will discuss per episode as well as their publishing dates. Anyways, so I think we mentioned on the introduction episode, but we are thrown into this apocalyptic world through Lauren's eyes as she writes her journal. Mm -hmm. She is a teenager who lives in a gated community in California, and the intent of the gated community is to protect her from what we're going to call here the dangers of the outside world. Correct, yes. Anna, when you were younger, did you have a journal or no? Oh, yeah. I never finish them, though. I just start writing and then, you know, halfway through, I just never write again. <laughs> yes. And they used to be like so pretty. I was always excited to start a new book and to do, you know, like a new journal that mm -hmm. had a very nice cover. And, and a little lock that you, you lost the keys yes. or you, you managed to keep the keys. Oh, mm -hmm. Some of them I did lose, but then you realize that all the keys are the same. So it's just like, mm, my secrets are not safe here. No, so, it's just to look safe, but it's yes, not really. Just to give you that little feeling that, you know, your secrets are safe, but no. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've lost a couple and I did have one that was Hello Kitty. That was such a cute one. So, yes, I was just thinking about... Um, those journals, even though we're going to learn pretty soon that uh, Lauren's journals are had nothing to do with the ones that I used to keep. So no, she lives in a hard reality there. Right, exactly. So um, just to remind us, so the book was written, uh, was published in 1993 and tells the story uh, 30 some years. So uh, it starts in, on July 20th, 2024. And July 20th is Lauren's and her father's birthday. They share the same birthday. She also sees in this dream that the walls are bun burning and fire is coming everywhere. So she wakes up because I don't honestly think that dreaming about fire is something very interesting. Or um, relaxing. Or relaxing. So she wakes up. She tries to go back to sleep. And the second part of her sleep is not really, uh, it's more of a memory than actually uh, a dream. So she remembers having this conversation with her stepmother, Coriolamina, when she was seven. So a couple of years back. And they were just uh, hanging uh, laundry to dry. And Lo Cori is, uh, Cori's first language is Spanish. So they're talking about how stars were so important and how they looked, they like to look at stars. And Lauren says that she really likes the stars. And then Corey says that she prefers the city, uh, but at least the stars are free. So mm -hmm. definitely um, right now in this particular chapter, of course, so far, so early, we don't know how her relationship is with her stepmom, but it does seem that they do have some, uh, contrasting opinions, whereas Lauren does sound does seem to be more into the whole nature thing, and Corey maybe on a more practical 
approach or because she's seen more than Lauren, she does say that she prefers those uh, the city lights. Yeah, because it, it kind of leads us to understand that Corey has obviously lived in a, in a time that she has experienced the city and the facilities she can access by, you know, living in a city. Whereas for me, at least the impression I have at this point is that uh, Lauren was born already in this apocalyptic world. Yes. That's all she knows. So she just knows the stars. Exactly. Maybe it wasn't as bad as it was at that point, but it was definitely, she was already a gated um, child, let's call that way, right? Or as we say it in Portuguese, she was raised by the grandparents, you know, Mm -hmm. like in in a gated community. So not really a whole lot of experience with the outside world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then we learned that Lauren, even though her father is a reverend, she does not believe in God or at least in her father's God. Right. And it had been um, at least three years that she had made up her mind, but she has never said anything to her dad because, as I had just mentioned, she always had that constant need of pleasing her father. It was the he was the most important person in in her life. So she really didn't want to shock him with anything uh, or tell him her true color, colors, right? So it was definitely not something that she had grooned. She had uh, gathered enough courage to go and tell him, hey, I don't believe you're God. She didn't want to be in a discussion about that with, him, with her right. father. Either. Yeah, some people don't like confrontation. Not that mm-hmm. everybody, I cannot tell you, oh, I love confrontation. But some people, they will try and avoid as much as they can. As they can. And Lauren knew that that was such an important, such a big piece of her dad's life that coming and saying that everything you believe, everything that you, you preach, it's not really something that I truly accept or I truly have in my life, right? So, um that was kind of her, her internal turmoil because she, she was living somewhat a life that she didn't entirely believe. And that particular Sunday after her birthday, they were going to a church to get baptized. And uh, Lauren tells us that uh, she, the, her father used to have a church in their um, nearby area, actually outside the walls. But because of all the robberies and vandalisms, uh, and vandalism, it turned out to be, it, it burnt down. And uh, some people were living there. Some homeless people were living there or in the state of homelessness. And uh, after that, they, her father was just preaching inside their house, inside, inside their gated community. But for this particular baptism, the father, uh, her, her father actually wanted them to go to an actual church and have the baptism, the whole uh, process with uh, clean water, with sacred water. So not only Lauren was going to get baptized, but there were six other children, including two of her brothers, uh, to a, a real church. So they had to leave the gated area. That doesn't seem to be something very common. So they really don't tend to leave their community or their um, society that often, right? So um, Heath, that's Lauren's 12-year-old brother, was also uh, with them. And unlike Lauren, who had her own religion, and we're going to learn a little bit more in the future about it, 
But Keith doesn't care about anything. He completely, he was just like, he was definitely going there because he had to go, but he had zero beliefs and actually he didn't care about anything. Lauren was not very fond of him, so not her favorite, but Keith was the the stepmother's favorite. So she did have three smart kids, this dumb one, (laughs) and uh, Corey actually loved Keith the most. He was the oldest, right? After Lauren, yeah. So Lauren Uh is 15 and then Keith uh, is 12. So yeah, uh, Corey's first son to your point. So not that justifies anything, but yes, that was what he was. So he was there with them and Lauren's just that she really disliked him. Um, They drive by the city. They actually ride uh, by the city and she sees, Lauren sees a couple of dead bodies and she mentions, she paints a picture for us that actually all, everything, pretty much what they see in terms of city is really gated uh, communities after gated communities because that's how people ended up uh, coming up with a a way of protecting themselves. So if they were not inside the gated communities, then the chances, the probabilities that they would be either druggies or squatters or they would be dead by then. So um, definitely not a pretty view, Mm -hmm. not something extremely exciting. Um, Lauren, she wanted to help them when she, whenever she would see the, those people and she would see that they needed help. But um, her stepmother had already warned her. Remember the last time that you tried to help someone, you were nearly killed. They also give us a little bit of a location. So they are near Los Angeles. They are around 20 miles away from Los Angeles. They live in this uh, city called Robledo. Lauren also mentions that her dad had lived in in Los Angeles for 20 years. And back in 2010, remember, we're in 2024. So 14 years ago, or 14 years prior, her grandparents were killed, and he ended up inheriting, uh, inheriting the house that they now live. So this was probably when the whole like living in the city has ended for her dad. And then she's just saying, as she's thinking about all of that, and she's riding by, and she's thinking about uh, how good she is at being strong when she sees people being hurt. And then we get a little bit of a glimpse here, because as we mentioned in the the introduction, Lauren has hyper-empathy. So basically, anything that any other pain or pleasure that other people feel. Or uh, animals, right? Or animals, yes. So it was something that, you know, like if she could avoid, she would avoid the pain. I mean, nobody likes feeling pain. Go figure feeling someone else's pain, right? Literally. Exactly. So um, her father, he believed that her syndrome was something that she could easily shake off and forget about it. But it was not that easy, you know, when you're in the middle of it, when you're sharing someone's pain, it's not exactly... When something that you can say, no, this isn't that, that does not belong to me. I need to forget about it, you know, block it from my mind. So, so Lauren also tells us a story which could be one of the reasons, or just like one straw piling up the, uh, on the reasons that she didn't love Keith. So, when she was 11, Keith pretended to be hurt. He even used some red ink to fake blood. And Lauren even bled with him. So it was definitely, it was that strong to the point that she's not only feeling pain, but she's also producing 
you know, a a blooded nose or uh, very, very ugly. She punished him from from doing that, but she also got punished because whenever she would hit him and he would get hurt, she was feeling the pain that he was feeling. So definitely not the best thing to be a hyper empathic, empathic, right? And he will also got punished by the parents. So <laughs> once again, she got hurt, hurt once more. So um, she also mentioned, so she would always try and avo- to avoid violence because for her, it was always a double punishment. But whenever she would be feeling like uh, people were taking advantage of her or people were really like hurting her, she would uh, resort to violence. So she had already broken uh, other ki- other people, uh, other kids' arms, nose, and teeth. So I think you have to grow a thicker skin when you're in these tough yeah, times. Yeah, she would, she would definitely hold it as long as she could. But for some right. situations, she would just go ahead and <laughs> decide it or solve it using you know, violence. Exactly. It wasn't her main option like first option for anything but if if you need it you need it to be right so then uh so we learned about this whole hyper empathy so the doctors they call this hyper empathy uh an organic delusional syndrome so um lauren became hyper empathic because her mother was addicted to this drug called paracetco or the smart pill, or even uh, also known as the Einstein powder. So before dying on Lauren's birth, she was heavily addicted to the drug, and that's how she passed this hyper-empathy to Lauren. So she's supposed to share the pleasures and the pains, but nowadays there, were, there weren't that many pleasures that she could actually share with people. She could only feel pleasure by having sex, but there wasn't a whole lot going on in a small community. And uh, her dad really didn't want people to know her condi- about her condition because she would become very vulnerable and people could actually go and hurt her uh, or use that as a, you know, like an opportunity to, to get to the family. So not an easy life for Lauren, I would say. So Lauren has had all of those thoughts and thinking all about that as seeing people suffering and then going through this baptism that she didn't want to, just spending this crazy amount of money just to get baptized, just to pay for water. So it has, has it makes her wonder at the end of the day, what if God is something else, right? So she's not entirely, she's not believing her father's God, that is for sure. So we do have uh, the news that an astronaut has died and something went wrong She was with her suit and then they couldn't save her. So everybody uh, was very upset with the death, of course, but then the neighbors were saying, her neighbors, Lauren's neighbors, they were just saying, well, it is her own fault that she went to Mars. Uh, we, ha- we are here. We cannot afford food. We cannot afford water. There's no shelter on Earth. Uh, water's price are, prices are going up again. Uh, we have the whole uh, situation, the water peddlers, people who sowed the water, they were being uh, attacked by squatters. Um, they were being killed. Their money and their water were taken. So it's just not, not really an easy place to be. And then you have gov- the government sending people Mars, other, right? Other planets, literally, right? Two other planets, exactly, just burning money. Like, everybody was 
um, living the life, you know, living the, the, the rich life, right? So Lawrence neighbors, they actually agreed that they shouldn't be sending anyone. Um, it, then the secretary of astronautics said that it was safer to bring her back, which he was, which was against her final wishes. She had said that she, if, if something were to happen while they were in the outer space, she would have wanted to actually just stay there, but then they decided, no, let's bring her back. So not even your final wish gets to be, you know, fulfilled at this time. So all of the, sorry, go ahead. Because the whole apocalyptic world is what tr- well, was triggered by climate change, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So they had these missions to other, well, Mars, not other planets, just Mars, to mm-hmm. try find another ways of uh, bring the society or take the society to other planets because the, the Earth is damned. Yeah. So leaving her there, that could be a risk to contaminate this new environment, according to the government. Correct. Right, so, so they, they he spent even more money to bring her back. Exactly. So it was already very expensive to send her to outer, spa- outer space, and now they are bringing her back. So um, it's all about politics. Um, the cabinet uh, of a younger politician named Christopher Doner said that if he won the presidential elections, he was going to extinguish this whole program. Um, then Lawrence said he agrees with Donor. He thinks that it's just like all of these events are like bread and circus. So it's really just uh, politicians and and big corporation, corporations getting the bread. And then the society just stays, gets the circus, right? The circuses. Uh, but Lauren, on the other hand, so she also believes that the outer, the outer space is actually the future, right? Because... Like Anna mentioned, the earth was already so shattered and so damned that they really needed to find somewhere else that they could go and just um, start a new life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. So uh, Lauren was, again, against her dad, but uh, or at least against her dad's opinions, but she wouldn't say anything, again, trying to please him or trying to uh, keep everything status quo not having any fights right so she also mentions that the astronaut astronaut's name is alicia catalina godinis leal so she was a chemist and lauren had promised that she was going to remember about her and have her as an inspiration so that was very interesting too because it's also showing uh, a woman going to outer space so i think that was very interesting as well in parallel, so we do have this astronaut, this astronaut that was actually really wanting to make the difference, really, you know, trying to get a greater good or having a purpose in life, dying of an accident. Back to Lauren's community at the, pretty much at the same time, one of her neighbors, Mrs. Sims, shot herself. So uh, actually, she had been she shot herself a couple of days prior, but it took a couple of days for them, for Corey and Lauren's dad to find her body. And Lauren is just she's remind she's telling us how Mrs. Sims was. So basically, she would go to church every every Sunday, but she didn't like the Sioux family because they were Chinese and Hispanic. And the older Chinese generations, they were still Buddhist. So she was very upset that they were not following her God. 
Um, she would also talk bad about other people behind their backs. And uh, so Lauren is also mentioning that as a way of saying, you know, like she's not practicing what people preach or she will go to church expecting that salvation. But when she comes home, she's just like trashing everybody. Nobody is good for her. So the hypocrisy that we see some, some places, right? So she was just very upset. And um, Lauren tells us that she had been robbed and raped recently. And she had also learned that her estranged son and his family had also been killed a couple of days prior. So uh, Lauren is just really upset that to see that Mrs. Sims had taken her own life. And uh, she couldn't understand that because the God that she followed, that Mrs. Sims followed, was always saying not to kill themselves because if they kill themselves, they will go uh, to hell and burn forever. So it's so if she believed in the Bible so strongly, how could she possibly have done something like this, right? So she, one of the things that Lauren really kept thinking is that, uh, so she decided to just trade the pain for eternal pain that really is not really, it's much easier when you're just reading than actually living it, right? So quite strong thoughts for a 15-year-old, I will tell you. And she also wishes that she didn't think that way because she knows that it was very revolutionary. It was, ex it was not something that uh, her community would easily accept. So she knows that she's an outcast. And it's interesting to, 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 to see like when someone knows and feels that they are an outcast. Um, later news, so Christopher Donor, he does win the elections and he's planning on privatizing the space programs. He also has amazing plans of putting people back to work. He's offering some um, tax breaks and benefits for employers that are willing to give employees some proper training, adequate, adequate housing. And Lauren is very curious because it's just like, okay, what does adequate means, mean, right? I mean, could it be a house just for, uh, would it be a house? Would it be a mattress? Would it be a mat? Would it be on the floor? Would you have to share the house with other people? Um, would, would it be just for the employee or could you bring, for the employee only, or could you bring your family? So it was just very vague and very, gen very, very general, like, oh yeah, I'll offer you a proper program, but not really going deep. So she wasn't really buying what that donor president was saying, which does make sense. And we do see lots of those very, very amazing programs that when you go to the the deep like detail of it, it actually, you don't have a whole lot of saying, right? You don't have a whole mm -hmm. lot of meat to it. So, well, the idea is there, but the mm -hmm. means to achieve it or the details on how it will work, they're sometimes not there, you know? Yes, they're still missing, right? So that's mm -hmm. how she felt about donor and how his programs and, and plans and, and projects, they, they, they actually play, played out for her. Lauren's dad ended up not voting for donor. He actually didn't vote for anyone. He really didn't want to get involved in any politics, right? Which is funny in a world that it's very apocalyptic. apocalyptical. People are leaving behind gated communities. Um, they have voting system. Yes, that has not changed. But then they also 
I think on top of that, they, I don't think they would wa- they wouldn't want to have a democracy, right? So mm-hmm. it will be interesting throughout the book that we're going to see that some of their rights have been completely vanished, have completely vanished. But to your point, you're right; they could still vote. So curious, definitely very curious. So as the days go by. Um, in the community, we have another accident. So Amy Dunn, she sets fire on her family's garage. And it wasn't, of course, it was accidentally and she was not really, she was just playing. And then, uh, and she was what, four years old? She's four years, she was four years old. So it's definitely not something that she's did. She's done it on purpose. And then Lauren is saying there's no use to call the fire department because they won't come, they won't help, and they will charge so much for uh, just a, a garage that it makes no, no sense. So the whole community helped putting the fire out. It was just a big waste of water. And Lauren was actually very worried for uh, Amy's life because she knew that her punishment it was, going to be, was going to be really bad. Then Lauren says that Amy was never wanted. Her mom or her mother, Tracy, she was raped at 12 by her uncle several times until she finally got pregnant. And that's how Amy uh, came to this world. Tracy was 13 herself. And it was a, she was also an outcast because the uncle was a very handsome and popular man. And Tracy was always uninteresting. So um, the victim here did not have a voice. That also sounds very familiar. Um, meanwhile, while this whole situation with the fire was happening, two of Mrs. Sims' relatives, uh, a, a sister and a brother, they, had, they claimed the house and they came to live there. And they, as soon as they got there, they accused the neighborhood to actually cleaning the house before they came back. So everybody got very annoyed. Like, you've never came to visit this woman and now all of a sudden because you are the next of kin you're just going to come here and accuse us so uh, Lauren's father said okay you go check with the police and if you have an issue they may have they may have to investigate right no one is to be trusted that's the truth and Lauren's father he really thinks that he really thought that it was important that everyone knew how to shoot so everybody that uh, was a certain age, they had to go and learn how to drive and, uh, sorry, <laughs> of how to shoot. And uh, Lauren was included, even with her hyper empathy. They really thought that it was very important for them to learn and to protect themselves because the world was going madder and madder. And, you know, these two guys coming to claim a house was another example. So there's always people coming and going. So very important to learn. So there were two other children learning how to shoot, and they were from the Moss family. Richard Moss was the father, and he was very religious. He was very uh, old school, and he always preached that a man should be unquestioned in, in, in their household, in his household, and he could have as many wives as he could support. Interesting, huh? So Richard Moss had three wives and um, sometimes they would go like to the community and that would make the community very uncomfortable, but nobody would actually say anything. Cause again, he believed that nobody should really question anything. Right. So um, 
that was something, uh, but he did have the kids. So the wives couldn't go and shoot. They couldn't do that because they were just to be trophy wives in a way and the kids, but the kids could. So that was also something that Richard Moss believed. While one of the shootings, her father shot a squirrel and it actually didn't hurt her as much as a human would hurt her, like a human's pain would, but she would still feel the pain of a, 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 an animal, of a living thing, um, but not as bad. So she, whenever she would go and have to practice, she would just try to try to try and shoot birds and squirrels because they were not as strong as a person. So uh, her pain, the pain she would feel, was not as strong. Uh, she blamed her father for the amount of attention that they paid to guns. So everybody in their household had two guns. And once the kids, they reached 15, as I mentioned, they would go for practice. And Keith, even though he was 12, he always wanted to go hunting and to go, not hunting, sorry, to go shooting and to go practicing. But uh, her dad wouldn't let it, be, let him because he was still too young, right? So uh, definitely something that he didn't have any control there. Um in that, in that reality, in that future, in that situation, only rich people could have dogs and mostly for protection because they were very ex expensive to maintain. And that one particular day that they were practicing, Lauren sees a wild dog and she calls Joanne, her best friend, to take a look. And Joanne's, Joanne shoots him with a shot. <laughs> she just shoots nearby just for the dog to walk away. And uh, Joanne mentions to Lauren that she wasn't aware that she was afraid of dogs. So it was like even something, it's something very uh, hard to picture because in, in the U.S. so many people have um, dogs in their households. And now you're listening that in that case, in that reality, in that situation, it wasn't something very common. So they didn't even know how to behave. So uh, on a parallel here, it's kind of like Un and I were always so afraid of <laughs> any kind of animal except for dogs and cats for an I am afraid of cats but um definitely if you don't grow up nearby or you know close to them you definitely don't know how you're gonna react once you're close to them right and also the dogs I don't know how long this world has been like that but they became feral as well so they don't know how to deal with humans right either. Exactly. It's just a selfish world. It's just you with yourself and same thing for the dogs, right? Um, so, yeah, so the dog goes away. Laura Ma Moss, another kid, she sees the dog a few moments later. She shoots at him, uh, almost kill, almost hits, almost hit one of the kids near. So Lauren dad, Lauren's dad, he says, okay, stop, put the gun down no more need, we're going to go home, that's it. So they walk back home, they're walking back home, and they saw a pack of corpse. So Lauren dad, Lauren's dad doesn't say a whole lot um, until they reach the home and they see more dogs. So then um, he tells everyone, if the dogs come, just aim and fire. And sure enough, a dog came, he aimed and fired. So the dog fell, but didn't die. And he was just in agony. And then uh, Lauren goes there and she actually shoots the dog to stop her own pain. So then she realizes, okay, so if I need to kill, 
I am able to. It's not going to kill me. It's a very excruciating pain, but she can do it. So that was a very big revelation for her, I think. So then, um, so that chapter ends. We're already on chapter five. And that chapter starts with uh, rain, lots and lots of rain. And it had been at least six or seven years since they last had rain. So also, as as Anna mentioned at the beginning of our episode, it's definitely, uh, even though they are in California, it doesn't rain that often. For you to go six or seven years without rain, that's a lot. So That's definitely a climate change. That is definitely (laughs) a climate change, yes. There is no doubt about it, right? So as it started to rain, some people put some buckets out to catch some free water. Corey, Lauren's stepmom is trying to keep everyone from the rain but uh Corey doesn't understand how much lauren loves the rain Corey was just really worried about the contamination like acid rain and all of that situation uh during this rainy period amy dunn the kid that uh burned the the garage door accidentally she also got shot accidentally by some by someone who was just firing through the gate and from outside, no, right? From outside, exactly. So he was an outsider, but we don't know who the person was. Doubt we they all doubt that they were actually aiming to someone, but she died. Her family was not paying attention to her. So nobody was like really looking at the four-year-old when she died. And um Lauren's father said yes, that was caused by sharks. She called uh he called the attacker shark because it was a comparison. It was like a very, very sad comparison of how isolated life was because now you have the menacing nature and you're just stuck in your own island, you know, surrounded by dangerous predators. So definitely very sad. Um, Tracy, she never really, really liked her daughter, but she was crying and she was very, very hurt with her, with uh, Amy's death. And it didn't seem to be something uh, fake. And but and she even spent the money that she could to try and investigate the death. But of course, that brought nothing. Police at those uh, at that at that point could not really help with anything. So it was just uh, and Lauren was very angry and frustrated with this whole situation because she knew it was just a matter of time before people from the outside could get into their uh, community. Right. And as she's super, super worried and, and, you know, frustrated and angry, she shares all these worries to with Joanne, her best friend, the girl that had gone um, shooting with her. And um, Joanne says that there's nothing they can do to prevent it. And maybe President Donor could fix things. And Lauren is insisting that there will be there will come a time that they would have to leave the community and survive on the outside. She even uses the Black Plague in Europe as an example, how horrible those times were. But then because of those times, people really had to change and improve and evolve. So uh, Joanne is not really in the mood of having that conversation. It makes her very uncomfortable. And Lauren continues saying that she, that Joanne, just like Lauren, they should keep bags ready to leave like a go-to bag and, and hide important things from the burglars, uh, burglars. So when the time comes, they could just go. And she also shares all the books that she had been studying. So there is a book on 
survival in the wilderness, guns and shooting, handling medical emergencies, California native and naturalized plants and their uses, basic li living, log cabin building, livestock, uh, livestock raising, plant cultivation, soap making, like very vast knowledge here, right? Like, again, for a 15-year-old, she was definitely thinking ahead of her time, ahead of her people, really trying to get ready and, and, and set to go. Joanne was surprised, um, but denying, really, really denying the reality. I think it makes it easier for, for Joanne, but Lauren is just saying making easier does not make it better. So I think that's also a slap on everybody's faces, right? Because we, if we want to change something, we have to do something. That's basically what Lauren was trying to tell Lauren, uh, Joanne, but Joanne was not really buying it. So right after this whole conversation, uh, a couple of days later, Lauren's father comes to talk to her and he, uh, because Joanne's father uh, had come to him saying that Joanne is having some crazy, weird thoughts and he kind of wanted uh, the reverend to tone it down, right? So Lauren is super angry, super betrayed, but she was happy that she didn't share anything other than getting ready for a potential emergency. She was very happy that she didn't talk anything about her ideas about God because that was going to shock even more. And then he would, now we know that he would have gotten to her, he would have gotten to her dead. So she's just feeling betrayed. And she, she, she does tell her dad that she's just like, she just explained what she had told Joanne, that it was just really a conversation about getting ready for a potential escape. It was nothing other than that. And, and, and Lauren was very surprised that her dad understood and agreed with her. He did say that people needed to be introduced to these ideas, but calmly. And he was trying to actually do that through his, uh, his sermons and his, his preach. So um, Laura mentioned that she had lent a book to Joanne and she would like to have that book back. Uh, her dad said, well, I'll, I'll see what I can do, but you have to keep in mind that these things, you shouldn't be talking about these things to other people, mm -hmm. but we can maybe try and have you te uh, teach the children about the native plants, maybe... They can take some martial art classes, but nothing really like out to their faces. So that was also very interesting. And I don't know if you felt that way, but it was very interesting that she's always so afraid of her dad, of sharing her beliefs or her opinions. But it seems that they are very similar people. And he sound pretty reasonable, at least at, until this point. Exactly. Until then, he really seemed, he wasn't like... I, I feel like she had, she feared her dad in a way. And so far he hasn't show, showed anything that would justify that kind of, a, that kind of no, fear, and right? He even supported her. Hey, this is actually good. I agree with you. I think you should move on with the idea. What about if you start thinking about teaching lessons or classes exactly. on this? So he's very supportive. Right. He didn't reprimand her. He was just like, try to use this a little more intelligently. So that was very interesting. It was very interesting to see uh, how, his, uh, how her dad was actually a very approachable person. 
Okay. So that was a very good conversation. Then a couple of days later, there was a conversation in the house between Lauren's father and Corey, his wife. And she had asked him, well, if someone were to attack the house, would you be okay shooting people? And he said, yes, I would. I mean, if someone is invading my house, yes, I would. And Corey was horrified. She was just like, this is the, I cannot believe you're thinking that. How could you? And Lauren was so angry because she saw that Corey was in denial, just like Joanna. So she couldn't understand what was wrong with those people, uh, in which world were they living because that's really like, can they see what's going on? So she was very frustrated. So you can see that that's just like building up. They start a neighborhood watch officially. So then they could at least have someone watching and taking a look at what's going on. Um, there were some people that came to steal the Moss's rabbits. And uh, so they have decided that it was time for them to actually start being a little more active in this whole protecting the community right so very important there uh then on chapter seven we finally get introduced or lauren introduced to us officially that she had named her belief system earth seed and for her it felt like giving a name really made it feel that it was real it was solid it was sure so she was very happy and um the first things that she says is that all that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. So she puts together. So she's very, very happy that she was able to come. And this earth seed is really uh, alluding to the parable of the sower that we mentioned in our introduction uh, episode that from Jesus Christ, the parable. So really having uh, seeds that you can plant on uh, fertile soils and that's just going to propagate and grow. So I, I think that it was a very suiting name for her, system, uh, her belief system, right? Also, she puts together a go bag uh, made out of a blanket to make it easier to go if when she needed to go. And she had saved up almost $1,000 uh, throughout the years. So she also put that... Uh, hidden in her go uh, in her go bag and she asked her dad if she could keep a gun in his in her room and he could, he didn't allow she tried to explain what the reasoning was but he was just not buying it he was just like no um we don't want to make it easy for easy for burglars to come here and just take things but no that's a categorical no she also had in her mind that once the community Falls, she wanted to go north, either to Washington, to Oregon, even to Canada, where there was more rain and the climate was cooler. Her dad did not want to leave the area because that was his comfort zone. And um, she was just like, well, I have the... Co she concludes by the end of this whole interaction and this whole discussion about let me keep the gun, let me go once I have to go that she feels that she's not going to be able to grow more if she's in her parents' shadows. So that was one of the conclusions that she has after this whole interaction with her dad. And um, on top of all of that, she's just believing that she believes that uh, mere survival, it's not enough. People should really have a go to progress and they should really 
aim for that. And then she, for her, the Earth seed was really settling in other planets, settling in other places, and just really maybe not possible right now, but def- definitely people should have that aspiration. And on meanwhile, with this whole discussion, everything happening, Tracy disappeared. She had been depressed since Amy's death, and she left the gated area. So lots of things happening. We can see that slowly the community is shifting, right? And um, she has never returned, and everybody assumed her dead. There was not a whole lot of money for them to pay for investigation, so it was just, it is what it is. If she ever returns, you know, knocks on our gate, we will um, open the gates for her, but they really assumed her dead. Again, in contrast of this whole death and uh, lack of love between Tracy and Amy, and then this whole resentment uh, from Tracy uh, over Amy, we have another neighbor, Bianca Montoya, who is pregnant, and the whole community agreed that she should get married because she's pregnant. And Lauren is shocked because she cannot understand how people can think about babies, how people can think about families when they should be planning escape. So uh, for her, having kids just made things much harder because then nobody's actually, the kids are not really ready to run away. And then um, Lauren thinks of Curtis and Curtis is her boyfriend uh she's been seeing him but not really like officially she has never made it official but they were an item and she thinks that she loves him but she doesn't want to have a family with him so it's really she's very conflicted right Anna she's she's Mm -hmm. just like I, I love my father but I don't want to be around in this area anymore so it's just like you know um lots of conflicts and conflicts inside her um, they go to another target practice, they see another corpse, and that was the last straw for uh, Oramos. She does not want to practice anymore. For her, this is a man's job, and Lauren really thinks that this is her dad's dynamics, you know, like the wives, they are pretty much uh, slaves, and um, they have to be protected, and everybody is just like, the man has to work, the woman keeps the house, so... Uh, She was very uh, resentful. Meanwhile, in parallel, we have Anna uh, Oramaz not wanting to go in in practice. And we have Keith getting more and more naughty and nasty at how much he wants to go shooting. And when he gets denied once more, he acts up and he leaves the community. So he just gets out of the gate and leaves and everybody's super scared because you know he's 12 years old oh my gosh what's gonna happen and he comes back dirty bleeding and naked he was beaten up and all his clothes and shoes were stolen including the community gate key that was also stolen so lauren's dad is furious uh, because now of course with them having the key, it's just a matter of time to finding the right gate to unlock it, right? Mm-hmm. So um, Keith's, action ha- uh, Keith's actions have brought some very terrible consequences to the community. And all because of a kid's tra- tantrum. So that's what he was, just a child, right? Like he was acting like a child. Um, he was left crying. Cor- uh, Corey had a really hard time getting out of, uh, get him out of the floor. 
Lauren did try to go and help, but Corey just looked at her as if she was somewhat responsible for that, which makes no sense because that was not Lauren's fault at all. Um, she did clean, Lauren did clean the floor. And Keith, after this whole situation, after being robbed, after losing the gate key, he still didn't think he was at fault. And he really wanted to prove that he was a man. So the reverend is fuming. He does hit the boy, but he does say that if he were indeed the man that thought uh, that Keith thought he would be, he would be beating him even more. Um, so it took him hours of beating and yelling and screaming and fighting. And then finally, Keith admitted that uh, it was his fault. He had left at his own terms, that he was the one who put everybody uh, at risk. But even though he admitted all that, he started growing this anger inside him and this resentment and this whole lack of, like, I'm not part of this family anymore. And, and that's where we finish this episode that covers the, uh, the first eight chapters of this book. And it's just, uh, we thought that this was a good moment for us to break our book club session because it's the beginning of the end of the Olaminas family as a unity, right? Because so far, Lauren had had a very good relationship with Corey. Uh, Corey and the Reverend had always been pretty much like the, the model family, the, the white flag family for the community. They were always very close together, even though they had their differences. You know, all the siblings were always treated as siblings. And now at the end of this, uh, by, by now, we do have Corey asking the reverend or uh, questioning his ways of trying to protect the family. Uh, her thinking that Lauren is responsible for uh, Keith being left out or the lack of love between Keith and the reverend and then you have the reverend beating Keith, Keith growing all this anger so you can see that it is uh, uh, that Keith has always been trouble but now he's becoming more actively dangerous to the to the community um, and we can see this whole situation uh, of the beginning of the end of the Olaminas family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if I had to summarize, like, how I'm feeling after this first eight chapters would be kind of, like, devastated and uh, powerless. <laughs> so not, ver not very positive. Uh, just because we're, you know, reading this all, we're seeing the whole story through a teenager's eyes, and she's feeling pretty powerless. She worries, she feels pain, she tries to get ready, but she cannot do anything because she's a child. So this is one of the things that she keeps bringing up. Like, there's not a whole lot of things I can do to help out. What can I do to help? Why can't make my community safer and that kind of stuff? So mm -hmm. uh, for me, it's been a heavy reading just in the sense of the whole, you know, it's not an easy story to read. Yeah. Uh, just because I don't see a hope for the future. On that mm -hmm. case. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so far, at least this first part is just really introducing us to the fam the, the community, to the life that Lauren knows, right? So um, mm -hmm. I feel it's very, um, there's a lot of like anxiety because I feel like there is something to come, even though the days they 
they they do they don't seem to be very different from one to the other because at the end of the day they are really basically what they're doing is trying to survive trying to protect the community make it to the next meal you know so it's just like there isn't a whole lot for you to look forward to because it's just that's basically what it is right that's yeah. the life that she's been and and it's also very heartbreaking, at least for me, it was very heartbreaking to see Lauren um, sharing her opinions. You know, like when I think about, um, yes, it's great that she has a journal, but then she has a friend like I have Anna as a friend and, and not being able to share her beliefs, to share her dreams, her aspirations to the friend because the friend doesn't have that capacity. The friend really doesn't understand, is in complete denial. It's not as mature as she is. So she's really an island. She really doesn't have anyone. And she was always very uh, connected to her family. And now seeing this whole um, situation with her family just breaking and falling apart, I think that there is like this big turmoil in Lauren's inside Lauren because she's just, she's helpless. Right. Mm -hmm. And one thing to think about too, is that sometimes when we look at the stories like these, we think, Oh, this is very uh, fictional, right? This is not going to mm -hmm. happen. Um, this is all fake. But if you really think out of the box for one second and you think about other countries that are out there, how many children don't mm -hmm. have access to clear water, uh, how many gated communities. I'm, I can't speak for Brazil, for example. We have a lot of gated communities, not like this book, but with security cameras. Um, mm -hmm. Barbed wires. Yeah, to protect the people who live into those um, communities from the outside world. Obviously, it's some kind of different violence here, but if you put it in perspective, it may not be that far off, you know. Yeah, one of the things that uh, they mention about Butler's books is that this particular one could be a dystopia, right? So it's not really, really something completely out of the reality. You know, it could be something, a foreshadowing, a future. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, we're not going to get there. But I think it's also something for us to keep in mind and um, trying to understand us as a community as a whole. So um, definitely a difficult book to read so far because it does have more like Lauren mentions at the beginning there are much more there's much more pain than actually pleasure so mm -hmm. the book is really uh, it's very raw when it comes to the point of discussing all of these pains and um, how monotonous and how scary is the world that they live so interesting first few chapters here so next week, we'll discuss chapters 9 through 14. If you are interested in the additional content, don't forget to check our bio on Instagram. And we would be very interested to hear how you felt about these first chapters from Parable of the Sower. So send us messages, send us emails. Uh, all the links and all the emails and information is on our uh, bio link. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll see you guys all next week. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.